What we wanted to do is make it possible to then string together different views of one or more visualization into an animating story. And then the different ways that you can tell that story are almost the detail. everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. In fact, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at New York University in New York City, where I do research and teach data visualization. And on this podcast, together we talk about data visualization, data analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. But before we start, just a quick note. Our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories. Or if you prefer, you can also send one-time donations using PayPal, going to paypal.me slash data stories. Yeah, that's always very much appreciated. If you don't have any money to spare, that's fine too. But maybe you can think <laughs> about a retweet or a quick note on Instagram or maybe a, a star rating on iTunes. So anything helps uh, to keep us the show going. Um, yeah, so let's get started. Today we have another tool-centric episode. It's been a while since we talked about tools and there's so much exciting stuff happening. And one of the tools we had on our list for a long time and uh, which we wanted to feature is Flourish uh, coming out of London. And so we have the CEO of Kiln and Flourish studio on the show, Duncan Clark. Hi, Duncan. Hi, Duncan. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you on. So can you tell us a bit about your background? How did you uh, end up being where you are now? And, and what are you working on right now? So I guess my background into it was a bit unusual. Um, I originally studied classical music and got into publishing that way. Wow. And then from publishing, I got very interested in um, publishing around the environment and data and climate change. I ended up as a data journalist at The Guardian working on climate stuff uh, primarily. Wow. Yeah. And got very into data graphics that way. So that was my way in. And then... <laughs> quite the I journey. Was, yeah, it was quite a, quite a round <laughs> trip. And then The Guardian, um, through that route, I was introduced to the co-founder of what was originally Kiln and now is also mm -hmm. Flourish, uh, Robin Houston, who's a kind of very gifted um, developer and mathematician and, and visualization mm -hmm. person. And so we got together, I guess, about eight years ago to try and explore what would happen if we put together a sort of journalist storytelling sensibility together with the more hardcore end of technology. So kind mm -hmm. of exploring things that at the time were very new, like WebGL and... Um, And the, the, the possibilities that were being opened up by people finally retiring IE8 and all those yeah, horrible old yeah. tools used to constrain us all. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, you won an Information is Beautiful prize for this beautiful animated uh, shipping map uh, that <laughs> had like tens of thousands of, of little ships moving around on a world map with a nice yeah. narration and... Uh, that was at least when I was first aware of Kiln, I think. Yeah, yeah so that, that project went a bit viral, um, helped by the fact that Bill Gates and other bigwigs sort of tweeted it. And um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I should say that actually almost all the credit for that did, should go to my co-founder, Robin, who did um, uh, quite a few different bits of hard 
tech work on that, including the data, mm -hmm. the data streaming system. So it streams a gigabyte of data in and renders it in real time as, as the next one's yeah. downloading. And um, a lot of processing of bathymetry data to get the, this this C looking um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very impressive uh, for sure. We'll we'll definitely link to it in the show notes if it's still running. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. still there. Shipmap.org. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So we should. Um, yeah. And now you're working on a on a product actually uh, called Flourish. So what is Flourish and and who uses it and and how what is this, what is it good for? So, I mean, Flourish very much grew out of everything we did as a kind of, I guess we were a micro agency basically doing these high-end bits of bespoke visualization work, similar to what you and many others uh, do um, so well today. And um, what we found is that we became not uh, partly a bit frustrated at the, the sense that we kept having to build everything from scratch every time. Mm. And, and very often it was only being used once. Right. Um, so there was a great deal of efficiency in the kind of D3 world and places like that where reusable libraries were being contributed by lots of people but then the actual turning that into a piece of content was often um, totally bespoke every time and felt a bit mm. wasteful for us as developers but also kind of a bit exclusive because we found that people could only afford to commission a kiln graphic if they had quite a lot of money and quite a lot of time And so we decided rather than trying to sort of expand Kiln as an agency that we would um, try and build a product that let people do Kiln-like interactive um, visualization. Right. And I mean, you mentioned Shipmap before, and Shipmap's quite typical of, of having an advanced visualization, but also some kind of narrative layer. And in a way, what we were always interested in in, in our Kiln days was this idea of A kind of how you properly do storytelling with interactive visuals and mm -hmm. people use that term in lots of different ways and what it's always meant for us is actually a narrative with a beginning a middle and an end and so that might be an audio layer that talks you through the visual or it might be a kind of stepper tool where you you're being guided through a visualization and what we found is we did all these different projects at kiln bespoke and with flourish what we wanted to do was take that kind of workflow of how you make high-end visualization so not just charts and maps in quotes but actual rich animating data stories too and to construct a kind of tool that let people go beyond just basic visuals and do that more advanced stuff mm -hmm. so This means that, uh, if I understand correctly, the main focus of the tool from the beginning has been more on the presentation side of, of visualization rather than, say, data exploration and understanding, or you're trying to cover that part too? So to a degree, we cover that. And, and I think that, okay. in a way, what, what we've always tried to do, the, the area we've always been interested in is making interactive visuals that have lots of different views of the data and that yeah. in a way is a classic data exploration tool but yeah. then the kind of particular kiln approach is saying well if you've got those different views that should also be the basis of how you tell the story mm -hmm. so trying to slightly dissolve that distinction but if you know if put on the spot then certainly it's true that we're more at the the presentation and publishing end of, of visualization than the sort of business intelligence or exploratory end and so we've put a lot of time into you know all the all the stuff around, um, you know, making sure everything's very mobile friendly and that the, the responsive embed codes work nicely and all that stuff, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is, which is important when you come to actually publish. And that's very much our background in Kiln is the, um, putting stuff out there for people to, to look at rather than internal tools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
like if we look there's this whole landscape of data visualization tools right it's like it's a zoo or <laughs> <you know>? yeah <laughs> or a jungle or however you want to call it it's wild for sure and so there's maybe you have traditional tools like excel and powerpoint and and whatnot right um then you have all the cool custom coding in d3 observable react whatnot um then last year we discussed a lot about tools uh like Charticulator and and uh, yeah. the Project Lincoln uh, prototype at Adobe that try well, to formulate think, yeah, yeah uh, exactly yeah. so yeah. these are more graf- grammar of graphics approaches where you yeah. build something like like a, a little recipe yeah and and you cook your, the graphics yourself you have raw which is also like template based why would you say does Flourish fit in or, or how do you set yourself apart from from all the others in that space so. I mean, if you were to boil it down to three things, what we wanted to do with with Flourish was to make, firstly, we wanted it to be easy. So we wanted it to be something that was approachable by people without particular technical and especially not coding mm-hmm. skills. Um, we wanted it to be hyper-flexible And that means that it's not just us that can make the templates, but there's an SDK for any developer to make templates. So the idea Mm -hmm. is it's a tool for non-coders to make cool visualizations, but coders can create the templates. Uh Um, So it's a platform. It's it's a platform. And so a lot of our sort of bigger customers, more engaged users, yes, they use all the -the off-the-shelf templates, but they're also using it as a way to organize their own internal Mm -hmm. um, templates. And, you know, especially in bigger newsrooms where you've got good interactive developers, but they're actually, the the workflows are all a bit confused because there's some code (laughs) in GitHub that no one quite knows if they've still got access to or if it's got some custom variable that was particular for a project. And so it's, it's a kind of partly a workflow tool. And then the third bit is the storytelling. And... Um, you know, going back to our kiln days, we've always been interested in that idea of visualizations that can tell a story or that you can use to tell a story. So whether or not that's a visualization with a play button that can actually talk you through it, or whether it's you standing in front of a, a big screen giving a presentation and you're doing the talking, or whether it's a scrolly telling piece, the idea is that those animations and those transitions um, are a key part of the architecture and and also a key part of of, of the of the offering to non-coders because there aren't really any other tools that are attempting to do that. <laughs> yeah, it looks to me that what you just mentioned, the the playback options are those that are probably some of the most innovative things that you have introduced in, in Flourish and we haven't really seen much in other tools. Um, Tableau so, is slowly catching up now. Ta- they yeah, have, they ta- have like an animation Tableau always had that right function, but w- was never really prominent there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not even sure how many people are aware of the fact that it's possible to do it mm. in Tableau. Yeah. But in Flourish, it, it's definitely one of the main features, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So w- what role does it? do you think it plays in, in, in Flourish? So, I mean, I think that if you think of the different things that you can do with data, like so one, one of the things that, um, you do with data is you use it to understand the world. And then the other thing you do with data is to use that understanding to communicate to other people sure. about change. Or, or I like just... the way you're framing it. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> I want to use it in class. For... Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a very new thought, but yeah. The, um... No, I mean, it's a nice way of, of, of saying exploratory and, and explanatory, right? Yeah, so, indeed. But it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry but for what, interrupting. No, no. Not at all. So, so what we always felt was that the um, the really nice examples of the explanation 
um, the sorts of things that would typically be handmade on the New York Times or the Guardian or the FT or whatever, um, they generally had animation involved and they generally had a, a proper narrative. And so it's mm. kind of visualization in the service of narrative or rather, you know, rather than the dashboard approach where it might animate between views, but you're not actually stringing together a story. And so what we tried to do with Flourish was define an architecture where it was a kind of story format agnostic so that the architecture of a Flourish template allows you to animate to a new state if the data changes or if the uh, the settings change or whatever. And then what we wanted to do is make it possible to then string together different views of, of, of one or more visualization into an animating story. And then actually the different ways that you can tell that story are almost the detail. So if it's an audio-led story, then you're just setting time codes on those different views and, and syncing it with some audio. And suddenly you've got mm -hmm. what we call a talkie um, and what other people might call an interactive video or interactive presentation. But just as, you know, you could just as easily press full screen and actually give that presentation using the a, a clicker um, to tell the story in a room. Mm -hmm. And and then another thing we're just about to to launch, which is in beta at the moment, um, is scrolly telling. Because, I mean, scrolly telling, people yeah. tend to think of it as, as, as a sort of totally separate art. But actually, if you think of, you've got a series of, of, of slides which transition, mm. and all that's happening sure. is, is the progression through that story is, is being triggered by the scroll of the page rather than the audio or rather than the next button. So... In a way, we, where we're getting to now is just finally sort of showing what the plan always was, which was being able to tell stories in different ways um, mm -hmm. once you could assemble those stories. So we, we focused first on the assembly and now we're focusing on the, on the uh, presentation of those stories. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I remember when I visited your office maybe one or two years ago and, and you showed all these things in progress, I was really struck by how much sense it makes that you would structure a, a data visualization similar to a presentation in PowerPoint or that a slide deck is actually a really good metaphor both for yeah. actively telling a certain data story like the Hans Rosling style or flipping through it on mobile. Like the slide deck is, is just such a good universal format and, and I think you implemented that really beautifully in, oh, in well, all thank these you. templates. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting that the, I mean, there were so many bad PowerPoints in the world, just as there are so many bad uh -huh. bad stories, bad novels, bad whatever. But sure, the fundamental yeah. idea of a PowerPoint presentation or a keynote presentation or whatever, where you show one view at once and you make one point at a time, yeah. that's what a good PowerPoint presentation does, is it... Yeah. It says there are 10 things you need to understand. I'm going to tell you them one at a time so that you can focus on them and understand them. But then yeah. what you lose in those sorts of traditional presentations is any kind of object constancy with the visuals. And so that idea of being able to do step-by-step -step narrative um, storytelling but whilst preserving the magic of interactive animated visualization yeah. is that's that's the sort of holy grail that we're we've been yeah and there's so, there's so many also like conventions we could borrow there like having a title slide having an ending slide having yeah. chapter slides you know all things that are known like conventions in the presentation world would 
make a lot of sense in yes, the digitalization yeah. world as well, right? So yeah. of course, and of course, we so we've accidentally ended up building something of a presentation tool too, because <laughs> immediately people could see that they could make these nice interactive stories, and they said, "Well, how do I add a title slide?" So we thought, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so we need a we need a sort of title slide template, and now we've been <laughs> gradually adding more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's one of the biggest gaps we have in visualization. There's so much focus on how to create the actual best single chart for something. Mm. But we seem to have neglected the fact that most often what you do is that you have some kind of a sequence or even multiple charts in the same page, right? And even if you look at, I don't know, learning resources like courses or books or stuff like that, there's not a lot of information about how to put things together. And ultimately, I think it's really, really important. Absolutely. I, I, I think we don't even have a very clear description of what the design space is for for multiple charts, representations with mm -hmm. multiple charts, right? And uh, it's a recurring issue. Because the, and it's interesting if you think about who trains on this stuff and who um, who are considered the experts. There are, there are a few edge cases like Hans Rosling, who was recognized as this brilliant storyteller and as a brilliant visualizer. Mm. Um but generally, the people who are seen as brilliant speakers or brilliant presenters, they might be people who train on that specifically, and they might have no overlap really with the data world. And so it's kind of, it's almost like there's been this gray area in between the two that only a few people have been occupying. But of course, to, you know, as, as we have more and more visualizations, what we hear from our users is that often the problem these days is that there are so many charts, so many dashboards, so many visualizations that the problem is no longer how do I visualize my data, but it's how do I get anyone <laughs> to take any notice or interest in what we're <laughs> trying to communicate. And so mm. it's interesting, things that we developed recently um, for kind of journalistic purposes, it turns out actually have quite a lot of um, relevance in presentations. So for example, we just made a um, you draw it type template uh, similar to mm -hmm. the ones that the New York mm. Times yeah. pioneered. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you just, you know, it's like a line chart template, but you can hide a certain proportion of the line and you can draw it. Yeah. Um, That's a wonderful format. I love that one. I love that too. Yeah. And But what's interesting is whenever we've shown it to our more businessy end of, of users, they say, oh, wow, this would be amazing for... Um, for engaging audiences because every you know we we talk about our monthly reports and no one mm. actually pays any attention <laughs> but if right, we force yeah. them to guess it first yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. it's interesting that the that kind of how do you how do you capture attention how do you get people to engage i think mm -hmm. is is not exactly the you know the new frontier of visualization but with ever more data and ever more visuals it is an ever growing part of 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 the challenge of, of anyone who works in visualization yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the the templates you offer they're they're a big part of the flourish uh, experience. Uh, let's say, Let, maybe let's let's give people a quick overview of what what types of templates <laughs> are available or what are typical flourish templates that that people use. So we we started off by saying, well, there are certain things we must have. So you know, standard right. chart types. Um, but with those ones, what we decided to do, and this was a bit of an example of um, you know some of the natural internal uh sort of wrestles that we've had with different ways of doing things um is do we make a simple template for each chart type or do we combine all the chart types in a single template so that we can support transitioning between the different views hmm. and um 
and that you know it would be it would have been much so quicker design decisions exactly right? yeah. It's like, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and so what everything. we ended up yeah. doing is we put um series charts so things like um you know line charts and bar charts and group bar charts and those kind of things in one template and we, we made the whole task much harder by allowing arbitrary an <laughs> animation between those um which you know, first it's hard to code, but then also you realize, oh my goodness, I'm using Flubber to flub the data points. And then someone tries yeah. to load a lot, large number of data points in and the whole thing falls over on that kind of thing. Um, whereas scatter plots, we put in a separate template because we felt that they more tended towards long format input data. Um, and therefore, from a user's perspective, it felt a bit like a different um a different thing uh, but then we added a lot of richness to those adding things like violin plots and box plots and um, mm. bee swarm plots and all those things so you can animate between those um so those are the basic charts and we did sort of standalone maps of the sort that you get on a lot of new sites where you have sort of geojson type maps then yeah. we added a, a kind of tile map um collection of templates which take mapbox gl uh, open source base and then do different visuals on top a bit like some of them are based on DeckGL, but some are um, mm. just handmade. Um, and then we started just adding more of the fun stuff. So uh, bar chart races, line chart races, <laughs> hierarchical visualizations <laughs> where, um, you know, you can just quickly nest by different columns. Tree maps and that will create or bubble. Tree maps, uh, yep. things, yeah. And those kind of things work really nicely with the, with the, the storytelling because the more you can interact and explore the graphic, the more views you can capture in your story. Right, um, right. So that kind of thing's fun. Yeah. And, but it's also because a lot of our users are journalists who see, who see data visualization and interactive content generally as part of the same package. We also started throwing in templates, which um, are less specifically about visualization. So photo sliders showing before and after or, um, uh, we're just working on a timeline system, uh, an interactive quiz template where we ask, um, which enables users to create quizzes that um, that the end user can uh, can be scored against and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, nice. it's a pretty yeah. it's a pretty broad collection. But as we've been getting further into the um, the area of in a way, the fun challenge of what do we add next, rather than here are the things we must have, it's been <laughs> really nice to go back and do some of the harder. Um, things which are closer to what we might have done back in our bespoke days. So, for example, we've just created, it's actually live, but we haven't promoted it yet, um, so you could dig around and find it, um, a template that supports shipbap style um, animated dots, <laughs> but now over a 3D vector tile base. Um, of course. <laughs> so that's really nice. Um, yeah. And we've just got a new template, which, uh, again, isn't live yet, but has um, supports arbitrary animation between maps and charts so that you can have a, a data point which has one or more shapes attached to it and then you can morph from there into um, into a chart so you could go from for example a a standard choropleth map um, into a hex map for an election cartogram um, into a bee swarm plot to show how those different mm -hmm. um constituencies or kind of uh, states whatever uh, score on some continuous metric yeah 
Duncan, I have a somewhat uh, provocative question. <laughs> it just occurred to me. Right? There is a tension between when when you when you start adding features to to your software, right? You always think that your users are going to use this powerful visualization in the best best possible way, right? And then, as <laughs> as usual, right, they start misusing and and creating terrible things. So I'm wondering if if you ever had these conversations internally, and you have and you are concerned with that i think there are there uh, i've heard for instance people within tableau they spend a lot of time thinking how can we have good defaults so that whatever people do by default is probably mm, going to be good wrong. enough or, right yeah, yeah. i'm wondering if you have anything like that within within flourish or at least you ever discussed that yeah definitely i mean you often have a uh, a, a feature which is impossible to add without opening up a, a world of badness. So, for example, you know, we added a thing recently where you could you could add an image to the background of a plot, and sometimes that's really useful. So, you could do, for example, a scatter plot. You could, if you had lat long, you could upload a background map and actually then animate from a bee swarm plot onto a a point map. And so mm. there are all sorts of, or you might just have a very nice subtle gradient shade that kind of um, fits with house style or whatever. But of course, once you've done that, you will find that someone's made a, <laughs> a, a chart that has some ridiculous image on the back of a, of a kind of cat or something, yeah. and you can't see any of the data points because the contrast is different. And um, so sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a decision to be made about how opinionated any tool should be. And mm. the, nice thing about, <laughs> yeah. the nice thing about Flourish, in a way, as, as a tool to work on is that because everything is, uh, is scoped at the template level, yeah. Then mm. you, you you need to make those decisions for individual templates rather than the whole system. So we took mm -hmm. the decision early on that the that the settings for a template were actually entirely determined by the template. So you know you can have um, if you can have a template that has very few settings or a template that has loads, and um, so that allows you to sort of have some levers with that a, a, a little bit. But mm -hmm. um, I mean, I guess the other thing about defaults is for us because Flourish is very significantly about data presentation a lot of our most active customers a key part of it is the being able to skin the whole thing with their own fonts and colors and defaults and so yeah. we have this theming system which is kind of invisible unless you're um very engaged with flourish it, and that allows you know a big newsroom or whoever else to um to really make it their own and so you know setting you know, the, the visibility of the grid lines or not is something that, that then becomes mm -hmm. a decision for their internal branding, um, you know, the visualization style sheet kind of thing, um, rather than something that we have to take a view on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm, I'm also super interested in this, like, design process, how you, how you design a good template or, like, a, a whole good collection of templates. Because if you try to create a template for every possible visualization need, that's obviously going to be a bottomless pit, right? Yeah. Or it becomes very like enumerative in, in terms of, yeah, if you enumerate every possibility, that's going to take a few <laughs> years, right? Yeah, completely. And then how, how is your process to decide like what, what makes it into being a template or which options you include in a template? Do you um, yeah, try we, it out internally? Do you do user tests or do you go by your gut feeling? Like, how, how do you figure things so out? So we're very user driven. And so we have a kind of, we've always had a kind of big button on the site where people can get in touch with us. And, um, and obviously paying customers, uh, we're always talking to and listening to as well. And so whenever someone says, oh, I wanted to be able to do this and I couldn't, 
um, unless it's a really crazy idea, then that always gets logged in our GitHub on the relevant template mm-hmm. or as a proposal for a new template. And um, and that kind of is that's a useful discipline to get into because you sort of add a lot of plus ones over the over the over the months, and then you realize actually quite a lot of people want a particular thing. So you think, well, it's, mm. it's worth spending some time doing. Um, but yeah, I think you know, often deciding whether something is part of the same template or is a whole new template is is one of the challenges. Mm. And there's not a kind of particular rhyme or reason to that beyond would it be useful to animate from one view to another? Because obviously animating between yeah, arbitrary templates yeah. is is mm-hmm. impossible. So um that's the kind of that's 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 one of the key things we consider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So Duncan, I'm really interested also about what is the business model behind Flourish, right? So to better understand how things work financially and how you've been thinking about how how to make this a viable product, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if you can describe a little bit what happened behind behind the curtains and what the business model is. Yeah. So we did a we took a, an investment round a few years ago, um, which yeah. enabled us to just have the freedom to focus on the product um, that we wanted to build rather than doing something which is too answerable to the early few users. Yeah. Um, so you went the venture capital way? Yeah, basically? exactly. So yeah, so okay. we did that. And um, and we also thought that, that would be a useful discipline for us because we were kind of transitioning from an agency into a product company. We thought yeah. it would be quite useful in a way to have, um, to sort of commit to some external people that actually we're not going to just <laughs> keep doing the agency stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah. Because obviously it's quite tempting. An interesting customer comes along with an interesting idea and wants to pay you to make it. It's quite tempting to do that. So yeah. this way it helped force us to actually really make the transition into being a, into a product company. And then since then, you know, we've just been um, selling Flourish, and you know, we're, we're pretty optimistic about the future. Um, and you know, people buy a, a very a lot of. Users use it for free, and we work with Google News Lab to provide it free to sort of mainstream newsrooms. Um, and that's partly because, you know, being ex-journalists ourselves, we know that journalists always find a way to use stuff without paying anyway. So uh, we might we might as well um, embrace that. that. But um, also, you know, from our perspective, uh, the journalism part of Flourish makes it it's very key to our you know. It's, close to our hearts and um yeah. we love seeing mm-hmm. it being used in all these uh you know huge audience scenarios by big newsrooms so that's really exciting mm-hmm. so you basically have a freemium model where most of it is is for free and then there are specific functions that are yeah that are- exactly so the so the free version is is pretty generous um but then if you want to keep data private then you can pay a little bit to to use it and then if you're a business and you want to be able to skin it into your own branding or um you know use a live api or, or whatever else then uh, yeah. you, you upgrade yeah, yeah. Do you ever install Flourish internally in a company or it's always an external product? We um, decided early on that we were going to focus on the cloud version of Flourish for the, okay. for mo- cloud, mostly yeah. for the reason that um, when you're developing something really fast, then any kind of on-prem installation is, is a kind of break. And yeah. um, also, I think our timing was quite nice because a lot of companies have been moving away from a kind of... Uh, 
their previous approach to cloud, which was that it was just um, not something that they did. But we did also create, we created this new live API for Flourish, which allows you to basically pull the templates into your local environment and treat them almost like a JavaScript library. So mm -hmm. that also provides a way for people to use Flourish without any data coming to us. So if any customers are particularly concerned about um you know, highly sensitive data, then that's that's another option. Mm -hmm. And so for now, that's the way we've handled the kind of, it's kind of semi-on-prem, I guess, because the templates are, uh, are on, you, on your premises, but the uh, mm -hmm. sure. but that obviously turns it into a coder um, use case because it's an API. Yeah, but that's sort of interesting, like you have all these easy ways to get started and just quickly upload like a spreadsheet and try things out, but that you can still customize it and, and own it to a large degree if if you want to go deep, right? Yeah, exactly. And so some of our biggest customers, they tend to use Flourish not just as a visualization tool, but as a kind of interactive CMS almost. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so oh. they're using it in order to um, ensure that all interactive content that goes onto their website is neatly organized in one place, that the permissions yeah. are sorted. You and, know how to edit it. Yeah, or Exactly. It or I mean, if you're... Yeah. Big. That's a huge challenge. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, some of our customers they've told us about the, the the problem they're trying to solve is that they've just got all these kind of sprawling different relationships with different agencies <laughs> all over the world, and there's code yeah. everywhere. No one yeah. really knows what's what, or um, and some mm -hmm. things are embedded interactive uh, interactively. Some things were made, but then turned into a JPEG. Other things are responsive. Other things aren't. Yeah. And so they've yeah. just it's just allowed them to um, to kind of organize things. things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, that makes a whole lot of sense, and I, I know that a lot of organizations have that challenge. So there <laughs> should be should be a market for that, I'm sure. Yeah. One final point: we have to wrap up soon. But one thing you mentioned briefly before, but as podcast host, we are obviously very interested in talkies. <laughs> <laughs> so you yes. mentioned this talkie format. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What's what's the idea here? Yeah. So it, this actually goes very. Um, very far back. So the the first project that I ever made with Robin before we'd even um, come up with the name Kiln was a project called Carbon Map, which was I think it's still live on carbonmap.org. Mm -hmm. And this was a uh, animated diffusion cartogram that um, tries to tell the the story of responsibility for climate change through different views. And we we wanted absolute data um, presentation, so we wanted to show um, uh, we didn't want to use a choropleth, so we made this kind of this this uh, cartogram and we put all these different views in it and we had some buttons and some text and stuff and we looked at it and we thought this is great it's quite cool and engaging but it it's quite hard to work out what it is is that if you if you wanted to understand both how to use it and what story it contained the kind of key views hmm. then um you know, that's quite a lot to to ask of people to, to dig in and discover that for themselves. So we came up with this idea that, well, we'd make a video and we'd kind of tell the story of it and we'd click around and show what it did. Mm -hmm. And we'd sort of put that over the top of it in some way. And the user would press play. And then when that introduction finished, it would fade out and you'd interact with it yourself. And um, But then my co-founder, Robin, had this better idea of, well, why don't we just take the audio file that would be on that video mm -hmm. and actually just synchronize it with those views and add, a, yeah. and add a play button. So I like that. So yeah. first that was hand-coded into that particular project. So carbonmap.org is still a kind of uh, a proto-talkie, I guess. Um, but what the, the way that worked is we recorded a two-minute audio file. 
Um, you hit play, it basically tells you what the site's about, presses the buttons on your behalf, and you can obviously pause it and interact with it um, even while it's playing. And we thought that's really interesting. Um, at least we, we were kind of intrigued by this approach. And so we decided to abstract out the code that we use to do that. And we created a, what was at the time an open source library. I mean, it's still an open source library, but it hasn't been maintained for ages, called talkie.js. And what that did was just... Or, you know, simplify the process of attaching a MP3 file to your JavaScript and synchronizing events with timecode. So we ended up doing that in lots of different um, projects, and they got more and more complicated. We, we made a project for The Guardian on um, World War One, which is just called First World War. And that was in kind of seven or eight different languages. It combined video and interactives and audio. So it's quite a rich big immersive project but again it was still using talky under the hood to just synchronize all the media with the javascript um mm -hmm. so that approach became really kind of central to our whole um you know storytelling visualization um idea and so when we set up flourish we always knew that we wanted to support that in the architecture so we launched Flourish with just forward and back buttons on stories so that you progress them. And then finally, right. after about a year, when we, we <laughs> cleared a, a couple of weeks to work on it, um, <laughs> we added an audio upload button and a kind of, um, and the capacity just to add a duration to each view. And that's pretty well it. So that then the thing that you publish has a play button over the top. When you hit play, the, the animations basically play through at your specified time codes and the audio um, does its thing. So it feels like you're watching a video and people often say, oh, I like this video about. Um, <laughs> but actually compared mm. to a video, though, it's got quite a few interesting advantages which aren't immediately obvious. One of them is it's just much more lightweight. You've just got an audio file in JavaScript. Right. Yeah. Um, mm. It's responsive, so you can have completely different views on different um, devices, uh, different aspect ratios or whatever. Um, and crucially, it's interactive. So you can make a uh, visualization that tells a story, and then the last thing that the that the uh, that the voiceover might say is, "Okay, so here you go. Now you can go and explore the data for yourself." Yeah, yeah. Or you could have forks in your narrative. You decide for one thing or the other, and I think it's uh, such an intriguing like format. Uh, That's an interesting, idea. such a simple yeah. idea at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah choose yeah. your own adventure, talkies. That's exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to think about that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, simple idea, but I think that's that's really powerful, and and uh, I'm really curious what could be done with that, especially coming from a podcasting perspective. So maybe listeners, if you have a good idea for like a, a data story that should be audified, I think there you have a really nice platform to do it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. So just to wrap things up, can you tell us a bit uh, where you see the tool evolving? What are the things you're like thinking about mostly now, or what are things coming up? in the immediate future or the, the long-term future, any, any hints? So there's a whole bunch of new templates coming out, like some of the ones I mentioned, like draw your own lines and moving dot maps and that kind of thing. We've also just added a live data connector to the app so that, I mean, you can already do this with the API, but now as a non-coder, it's possible to connect to a Google Sheet or a, some other 
um, Ooh, some nice. other data source that might be updating live. And we use that mm -hmm. to, um, we sort of showcased that with the UK election in December um, mm -hmm. and did, did a bunch yeah. of visuals with that. Um, right. Scrolly telling is another big one. And then, I mean, I guess the other the other sort of area where we're increasingly focused on is just automating everything and trying to make everything easier. Because as you add more and more different visualization options to a tool, then people start to say, this looks really powerful. I've got my spreadsheet. What shall I do? Um, they, they can feel a bit overwhelmed. And also, especially if it's something like a hierarchical graphic where you've nested by columns, it's not immediately obvious um, that it's possible to get from your little spreadsheet to that fancy graphic. Mm. And so one of the things we're working on at the moment is just making it possible to upload an arbitrary, real-world, messy spreadsheet and um, we kind of identify where the data is, you know, what the column types are and stuff. And then we can mm -hmm. we can sort of yeah. make the visualizations in advance and let you choose from them rather than, um, you know, you having to do all the work. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sounds great. Yeah. So <laughs> check it out. It's great to see more database tools being being successful. Yeah. Great job. Thank you very much. And, it, and it's really one where I like to send people who don't know much about coding and they, they want a yeah. bit unusual data visualization, something like exploratory, yeah. fluid, interactive. So it's um, yeah. always worth a look. And if your data fits one of the templates well, it just takes five minutes. So definitely check it out. Yeah. 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 Cool. Thanks so much, Duncan, for joining us. We're, we're really curious to see um, the tool evolve over the next few years. Well, thanks for having me. Very uh, nice to talk to you both. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye, Duncan. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is crowdfunded, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash datastories, where we publish monthly previews of upcoming episodes for our supporters. Or you can also send us a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash datastories. Or as a free way to support the show, if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be very helpful as well. And here's some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so follow us there for the latest updates. We have also a Slack channel where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, go to our homepage at datastory.es, and there you'll find a button at the bottom of the page. And there you can also subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish a new episode. That's right. And we love to get in touch with our listeners. So let us know if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know any amazing people you want us to invite or even have any project you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Just send us an email at mail at datastory.es. That's all for now. Hear you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.